I want to welcome you this morning to our fellowship. If you're here for the first time this morning, it's lovely to see you. Um, really glad that you could come and hear the Word of God this morning to be part of worship. We honour Jesus Christ, and because we do that, we do certain things in this church. We do certain things in our worship. We do certain things in our fellowship. And in, in the honour of Jesus Christ, we sing songs of worship to Him. Uh, we sing songs not out of ritual and religion, we sing songs out of honour and praise to God. And so that's what we do this morning. And so we thank God for your presence this morning. Thank God for your company this morning. If you're here and you've been here for a long time, um, then you know what we do. And, and I pray that it doesn't become routine for you. And rather, there's a freshness that comes out of this morning for you and, and, a, and a, a renewal in some ways of what you have been doing and what you're part of. God is a very, very faithful God, and uh, we, we look to him in all things to, for life and godliness, and this is why we say trust God, because God is a very, very faithful God. But join me as we pray, as we pray together this morning, Just um, and then I'd like to share with you a few words from the Bible uh, to encourage you and to strengthen your faith uh, and to continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. Our loving Father, we come humbly before your presence, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for what you do in our lives and in the lives of our family, our families, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the way you speak into our lives and the way you set people free, the way you secure their eternity, the way you deliver them from sin, the way you give them joy and peace. It is in some ways unexplainable and yet understandable. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're in the midst of us now as we come and think on your word and reflect on what you've given us. Father, that you would guide us today as we, as we just listen and reflect on what you have to say to us. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning... Uh, if you can open your Bibles to the Philippians in the New Testament, Philippians, small book in the New Testament, chapter 2, going to read just one verse and then I want to look at a couple of other verses with you this morning as well. Isn't it wonderful, again, uh, I make reference to one of the songs that we sang this morning as I did last week. One of the songs we sang this morning was, uh, this is my desire, this is my desire, And one of the lines in this song says, Every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. That's quite a remarkable thing to pray to God. God, every time I'm awake, every time I'm conscious of things, when I get out of my bed and before I go back into bed again, Lord, have your way in me. And it's wonderful because basically it's absolute and complete surrender to the things of Jesus Christ. Everything I do, Lord, everywhere I am, Lord, every person I see, Every conversation I have, everything, God, I don't want it to be anything. You think, oh, are you so obsessed with God? You sound like you're obsessed with God. Yeah, because he's obsessed with me. Like, he's obsessed with me. He, he wants everything for me. He, he loves me. He, he cares for me. He wants to give everything that I need for life and godliness. So for sure, I'm going to be obsessed with him. If there's anything you're going to be obsessed about, it's going to be the creator of this world. It's going to be the life giver. You're, that's the very thing you're going to be obsessed with and for. 
And so every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your ways in me. And so people get up in life and they go searching for things that are going to satisfy them. Don't you do that? You go and you look for things that will satisfy you. You want to be satisfied in life, whether it's someone or something. You want to be satisfied because you sit probably this morning still feeling unsatisfied, discontent, unhappy about something. It's not how you wanted it to be. Life isn't as you planned it, not what you expected. You should have been at a certain place by now. You should have had a certain person in your life by now. Whatever it is, you sit here and you think, Lord, why? And yet the Lord is saying, who is enough for you? What is enough for you? Isn't my son enough for you? Isn't really at the end of the day, people of all circumstances, if we tried to give counsel to everyone in all their circumstances, what what at the end of the day is the counsel going to be? That Christ is enough for you. He is enough for you. Every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. And so Christianity is a faith that is genuine. Is a faith that is genuine. There is no other faith, I believe, that is as genuine as the Christian faith. And listen to this. Every Christian on the existence, on 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 planet Earth, every Christian is genuine. And all of a sudden there's a bit of a wrestle going on. Hang on, something doesn't sound right there. If you've been Christian long enough, something doesn't sound right there. Hang on, Christianity is a genuine faith. And every Christian on this earth is genuine. Oh, hang on, this still doesn't sound right. You said louder, it doesn't sound any better. What's wrong with that? It's a shame. It is an absolute shame when we can sit here or stand here and say that every Christian is genuine and become uncomfortable about this. Why are we uncomfortable at the truth that every Christian is genuine? Because the reality is, is they're not. Something has happened from believing and living that has caused this disconnect that they're no longer genuine. And if you know me well enough, you know that one of my passions in the Christian faith is that every Christian comes to a place that their faith is authentic and genuine. That it's not a facade. That it's not a mask. Is it something you walk into church, sing a few songs and walk out again and say, oh, what a beautiful Christian, because they sing really well. They use nice words. Because you know what? I would be doing you a disservice if I said to you, you're okay, and pat you on the back. Rather, and then you stand before God and God strips everything away where the Bible says that everything is naked before the eyes of God. And he says, what was going on? You were not genuine in your faith. You were not authentic in your faith. You lived one thing and you said another thing. You acted one way and you practiced another thing. It wasn't authentic. And so when we sing a song, Lord, every time I'm awake, every moment I awake, have your way in me. This is genuine faith. This is freedom. This is liberating. This is able to say, Lord, I am not faking it until I make it. This is, Lord, I am genuine every day, even in my sorrow and even in my pain and even in my hardship. I come before you genuinely saying, Lord, have your way in me. But some people, depending who they're with or depending who they're not with, act a different way. And all of a sudden, their faith is conditioned around what is going on for them, who is part of their life, who is not part of their life. 
Are they with certain friends? Are they not with certain friends? Are they with certain people? Are they not with certain people? Are certain people in their company or certain people are not in their company? They, they, they become different people and, Je- and Jesus Christ doesn't become the same for them today, yesterday, today and forever. It changes. There's not a genuineness. It's like you're hanging out with some friends or you're in a social gathering and all of a sudden someone walks, like a church leader, walks in the room and it's like, why? Because one of your church leaders walked in the room. Better watch my words now. Better watch the way I act now. Better watch what I do now. And all of a sudden there's this kind of lack of genuineness about our faith. And regardless of where we are and who we are with and whether we're alone, whether we're not alone, Christ is asking us to be everything all the time as if he is in our company. And the Apostle Paul said something really interesting in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, verse 12. Verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, because he just finished saying that every knee is going to bow, so every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, verse 11. And then he says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's fascinating. This little phrase that probably goes unnoticed sometimes, and I want you to focus on this just with me for a few moments this morning. This phrase that he says, that's quite interesting. He tells the Philippians, after he talks about Jesus Christ is Lord, and we know what that means, that Jesus Christ is Lord means He's in control of everything. He's the Lord of everything. We surrender everything to him. He's the Lord. This is how we live as Christians because it's genuine. And he tells them, he says, you know what? Therefore, my beloved, the ones I love so dearly, I want to tell you something. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. What's he telling them? What's he saying to them? This little phrase that goes unnoticed, like he's saying to them, I know, I know you, my loved ones. I know that you obey God when I'm with you in my presence and much more in my absence. Even when I'm not with you, you obey God because you love him. You walk by faith. You don't walk by sight. You're not conditioned by who's with you, who's not with you. Oh, quick, the Apostle Paul's coming. Let's clean up our home. Oh, the Apostle Paul's coming. Let's, let's improve our behavior. Oh, you know, someone's walking into the room. Let's act differently. No, he says, you know what? I know your faith. You obey Jesus whether I'm with you or not with you. It's like this. It's like sometimes if I'm teaching in the classroom and I say, oh, I forgot something in my office. And I say to the kids this, guys, I need to go to my office. I'll be two minutes. Okay? But when I go, I want you all to keep working quietly. No getting up off your chair. No talking loudly. Just work, keep working. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah, sir, we'll do that. We'll do that. No problem. We'll sit quietly. And then I go, and I'm thinking to my head, what are they doing? As I'm running off to get my office and go back, come back and bring whatever I need to bring back. And I think to myself, what have they done in those two minutes? Hopefully, they've done what I've asked them to do. Now, for the person who thinks to themselves, ah, he's gone. 
and gets up, starts talking, walks around, mucks around. What character has that person got? What's the strength of their character? What are they really showing? What are they really demonstrating? That the moment, that the moment they're not being watched or looked after is an opportunity to play now. What is that? There's no strength of character in that. There's no integrity in that. There's no reputation in that. There's no genuineness in that. It's just an opportunity that if I'm not seen, I'll do it. Because what they don't see, they don't know, there's no big deal. It's not like that in the Christian faith. But the person who's able to keep on walking and living and doing and working, quietly doing what has to be done, despite the absence or presence of the teacher, knows this person truly is off character. This person truly wants to study well. This person truly wants to do the best that they can because they are not moved by the absence or the presence of someone who's in control or the absence of the presence of someone who's caring for them. They know they walk by faith, not by sight. They love God above all things. They fear God above all things. They carry their cross daily because they love Jesus. And the world is sick of people who are not genuine for the Christian faith. Because it's true, and they ought to be sick of it. Because it's not what Jesus called us to do. So whether I'm alone or whether I'm lonely, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm with family, whether my circumstances are tough or whether they are easy, whether I'm in the company of certain friends or not with anybody, I live for Jesus as if he is my all in all. It's like, for example, when someone rings you, maybe a salesperson, and you can't get them off the phone. I don't know, nobody's around. You're home alone. What do you do? And you say, I've got to go now. And they keep going. Oh, I've got to go. And they keep going. What do you do? Because nobody's around, do you say, look, get off the phone and hang up? I don't know. Do you act, do you act in a way that's dishonoring to Jesus? Would you act any differently if I was standing next to you waiting to get off the phone? Or would you act knowing that Jesus is in your company? Or when you're trying to negotiate a return of an item and someone's being difficult in the shops, and you think, oh, what are you being difficult for? I'm just trying to return something that's not working. They're trying to, no, we don't return items. We don't do, do you get agitated? No Christians are around. I'm going to tell them what I think. Is that how you think? Is that how you feel? I'm going to give them the peace of my mind. And you know what? I don't care. And you feel safe because no one who you know is around you. doesn't make sense to me. Paul says, I know you've obeyed in my presence as also in my absence. Because your faith is genuine. Whether you are on a computer or whether you are going for a walk. Whether you are driving or whether you are at work. You are obeying the Lord because Christ for you is your all in all. Make sense? This is genuine faith. And then he says, because of this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because he knows and he understands if you live like this, you're living a life that is true to the faith because you know this is everything to you. You know what? If you had to make a decision that was a matter of life and death, would you treat that decision lightly? If you had to make a decision that was going to either, either going to be critical for your family or, not, or, or like really going to make a big change for your family, or even a case of life and death, you would treat it with absolute seriousness, wouldn't you? This is the life that Jesus has given us. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not something that he says, you know, if you like it, come along and play with it. No, he said, this is your life. 
And he says, so work it out with fear and trembling. Every moment that I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Because I need to work it out with fear and trembling. I need to take this absolutely serious. This is critical. This is about my life. It is a case of life and death. And if you play around with the faith and die, you can't, you can't blame God for this. But if you take it seriously, and every day is a day, an opportunity to love God above all loves, to fear God above all things, to, to carry your cross, to, to have him as everything in your life, then you know you work it out with fear and trembling, and you know that God is going to work with great power in your life and set you free from all things that continue to bind you. He is a God that wants to restore all things, and he will. So he says, you know what? You've obeyed in my presence. Also, in my absence, work it out with fear and trembling because this is the motivation of the Christian. This is genuine faith. So when the world looks and they say, whoa, we don't get this, we don't like this, we don't really appreciate this, but at least they're genuine. They're true to what they say. They're true to who they are. They're Christ followers. They walk in his steps. And even Jesus in his loneliness cried out and was able to relate to the Father. This is what it means to be in his presence or in his absence because we walk in faith, not by sight. So this idea of being um, different in different situations or not being the same in the absence or the presence of certain people, leaders or people who care for you or your loved ones, does it really matter what my family, does it really matter who I am? So it matters who I am to you as much as it is in my home. You would hate to think that my wife would get up one day and say, ha, you, you think he's like this, you should see him at home. Would you get shocked? Would you say, nah, surely, yeah, you should. Let me tell you what he does at home. Would that upset you? It should upset you. It should upset you. Because this is not how Christians live. And so not just for me, but for everyone in the fellowship who claims to be Christian, this is why the genuineness of our faith they say, oh, he's a preacher or he's a teacher or, or, or he's a, this, this and that. You didn't see him on the road the other day. Oof, you just in the rage on the road. Would you get upset if you, if, that, if you heard that about me? For sure you would. And so that is the same with everyone because we know we practice the presence of God. Do you understand that? We practice the presence of Jesus every day, every moment. When I'm awake, right through to I sleep, I practice the presence of Jesus in everything I'm doing. This brings genuine faith. Now listen, this idea of presence, no presence, absence, no absence, this whole thing, is it restricted to this one verse? Have I made something big out of something that's small? Have I blown something out of proportion? Or is it found elsewhere in Scripture? Believe me, brothers and sisters, it is in Scripture. It is this concept of being something when you haven't got someone around you is not restricted to this one verse. I want you to consider something with me. When the... People of Israel came out of Egypt. They had to wander through the, the desert for 40 years, didn't they? There was a time, there was a time when Moses went up to the mountain, didn't he? 40 days, 40 nights, because God was going to give him the law that the people of Israel were going to obey. You remember that? This is what the Bible says. I'm going to read it to you. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed... Coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, 
make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Really? Because he's absent? He's taken longer than you expected? Because he's not around you? He's not physically in your company? You would go and make other gods? You would act differently? You would turn your heart towards things that are not godly? God God brought you out of Egypt. God delivered your soul. God set you free from bondage. God took your misery and gave you joy. God took your sin and forgave and washed it away into the depths of the sea and doesn't remember it no more. Even when people say to you, I remember your sin, you say, God doesn't remember it. What do you remember it for? And then because there's a period of time that's not, there's no, um, there's an absence of someone or something and so all of a sudden your heart turns to something else. What do you mean? Moses delayed his coming? Moses delayed in coming down the mountain. That gave them permission to forget the great God and start making gods for themselves. It doesn't make sense. But this is a beautiful picture of humanity. A beautiful picture that when you somehow are in the, um, you're not in the presence of someone who probably you respect or you trust or you're in certain company, not other company, all of a sudden your heart is moved and changed with certain people. This isn't right. You are who you are because Christ is in you. You are who you are because Christ is your all in all. You are who you are because Christ is your Lord. Do you understand? So they make other gods for themselves. Is it restricted just to Moses? No, listen, New Testament. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and say, where is the promise of his coming? Get that? These are scoffers, mockers, that will say, he's not coming back. That's talking about Jesus now. He's not coming back. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so you have a New Testament example of this. People would turn around and walk around and say, oh, really? You believe Jesus is coming back? 2,000 years, man. Are you serious? It's taking his time. And they scoff and they mock. Are you really practicing the Christian faith? Are you really trying to keep yourself pure and holy for his to come? It's been such a long time. Do you think it's really going to happen? It would have happened by now, surely. And they discourage you. The Bible calls it scoffers. And while the world thinks it's smart and getting smarter all the time, it's sitting in unbelief. But it is nowhere near as smart as they thought they were. They're sitting in unbelief. And they're scoffing. And they don't realize, if you read further down, the reason why Jesus, listen carefully, and this is going to apply to a few of you in this room, the reason why Jesus is taking such a long time, if you want to call it that, The reason why he's taken such a long time is there are some that still need to be saved. That's how good he is. And there are some in this room that he's not willing that any should perish, but they will come unto repentance. Are you saying, oh, Jesus has taken a long time? Imagine if he came yesterday. Were you ready? Imagine if he came last week. Were you ready? Last year, five years ago, were you ready? And so his generosity, his kindness, 
He delays his coming, if you want to call it delay. He delays his coming so that many so people don't um, perish, but many come unto repentance. This is his generosity. So much so that Jesus also taught the same thing. He said this, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Remember Jesus gave that story about a servant and a master. The master heads off on a journey. The servant says, my master's gone. Okay, I'll do what I have to do. I will continue to honour and obey my master as if he was in the house. And Jesus says, the master's gone. And this faithful servant says, I will keep doing what I have to do. Is that not the Christian? Isn't that not the picture of the Christian who walks by faith, not by sight? Jesus is gone for a time. He's coming back. And yet we practice the presence of Jesus, knowing that until he returns, we will honour and serve and love and obey him every day of our lives. Isn't that not true? Isn't that not, isn't that not, not picture of what Jesus is giving us here? It's like the woman in um, Proverbs 7 who says to the man that she sees in the street, come, come to my house, flirt with me, because my husband's gone on a long journey. What? Your husband's gone on a long journey? Yes, I have... He's taken money with him and he's coming back in an appointed time. So come, come lay with me, flirt with me. What are you talking about? Your husband's gone on a long journey. This is where you need to be more faithful. Not flirt around while he's gone until the appointed day he comes back. Yes, it's, it's, the picture is true in the human sense, but it's also true in the spiritual sense. Until Jesus comes back on his appointed time, we don't flirt around. We don't play around with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We don't have a love for money, love for possessions, love for pleasures that, that, that disobey God until he comes back. Oh, but I was just playing around. No, we are diligent until the return of Christ. Every day, from the moment I wake up to the moment I, I go to sleep, have your way in me. You think, oh, this is too hard, man. I'm out of this church. It's just too difficult. This is too much. No, listen, it's too much because you don't want it. What you do is you love the world. When you want it and you experience it, let me tell you what it is. It's not too much. It's actually freedom. It's liberating. That's what it is. And his commandments, the Bible says, no longer become burdensome. They become freeing. Because we know the presence of Jesus. And so then he says, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master, listen, the same words as Moses, my master delays his coming. Do you get that? The servant says, oh, he's taken his time to come back. That servant begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards and starts to do all these things that he shouldn't be doing. When he should be loving his fellow servants, he's beating them. When he should be washing their feet, he's beating them. When he should be keeping himself pure, he's getting drunk. When he should be doing the things that he should be doing, though he's playing around and flirting around. He's doing these things because he says in his heart, listen, he says in his heart, my master delays his coming. Oh boy, it's going to be ages before Jesus comes back. Do I really have to keep doing this until then? But every day, every day is our opportunity to honour and to love and to demonstrate that we live by faith, not by sight. That servant, the Bible says, the master will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of 
and you will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Okay, I've had enough now. Stop, Barry. I've had enough. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Listen, I, you may feel like that. And I, I kind of apologize if you do feel like that. But you know what? I don't apologize at the same time. Because what I'm telling you is what I tell myself all the time. I'm speaking to myself now. And I just thought you might, might as well hear it. Because I know when I live like this, let me give you my own personal testimony. Because I know when I live like this, knowing, knowing, not beating myself up, but knowing that I live my life every day by faith, not by sight, knowing that Jesus could come at any moment, knowing that I will be Christ-like and Christ-honoring, whether someone's with me or not someone's with me, whether my brother's with me or not my brother's not with me, whether I'm on the phone or not on the phone, I know this is the most liberating way to live. It's not pretending. And it says he comes and he points him to the, his portion to the hypocrites where there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. So, can you see how this is really interesting? That, this is why Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? Because this is genuine faith. You say, I can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. That's why I trust in the Lord. That's why I lean on the Lord. That's why I, I live daily for the Lord. That's why I carry my cross daily with Him. Because this is how I need to live, knowing that the presence of God is in my life all the time. This is why I want to try always set the joy, hit the joy before me. To be serious-minded. To have the mind that was in Christ Jesus. All these things relate to me so that I can practice his presence and walk by faith, not by sight. Whether it's in the presence of those I love or whether in the absence of those I love, it does not matter. It'd be an absolute embarrassment if you acted one way and then if I walked into the room, you started to act another way. Wouldn't it? And so we are the same with Christ. As we enjoy his company and we enjoy his presence and someone tries to pick a fight with us and we're enjoying the presence of Jesus, we say we love you. And they get more frustrated. They want to pick this fight with us and we say, but we love you so much. Because we're just enjoying the presence of Jesus. And our head's not in the sky without our feet on the ground. We know we live life. It's reality. We speak. We confront. We're tough sometimes. But at the end of the day, we're not unchristlike in how we live and so this servant says my master delays his coming jesus says will i find faith on the earth god knows beloved god knows that sometimes it's just tough but who you are when no one's watching is absolutely critical your public and your private life should not be different. Your friends or no friends should not be different. Sometimes in that period of time when it's really tough, you just have to hold on. Even the psalmist said, My soul is greatly troubled, O Lord. How long? Because sometimes it just feels like it's centuries away. 
And even the psalmist said, Lord, how long? How long? But God's response is simple and encouraging. He says, hold fast. Hold fast. Um, Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. In Revelation, it says at least least two times to the churches, hold fast, hold fast. When it's tough, hold fast. Even Caleb in the Old Testament, when he was promised land and he kept on doing what he had to do, 45 years later, he says, look, look at me. I'm still now strong as much as I was 45 years ago. Give me the land that Moses promised me. He says, I haven't given up. I've held fast. I'm stronger today than I was back then. I haven't drifted. But I've held on. I've held fast. Everything that God has called us to. So I'm going to leave you. I'm going to finish. I'm going to leave you with some thoughts. And if I was to go through each one, we'll be here for another hour. But I was going to read them out to you. And if something triggers in your heart, you think, oh, that, what he just said there, I need to go and read that. I need to go and study that. I need to go and, and ask about that. I need to go and ask him about that. Then I want you to do that. Because God, there are many things in Scripture that helps us to hold fast and to walk by faith, not by sight. So I want to encourage you, beloved, as we wait for the coming of Jesus, as we awake each morning and before we sleep each day, whether you're in the company of people you love or in the absence of people you love, whether you're with certain friends or with no friends at all, whether you're in private or in public, I want to encourage you, beloved, firstly, to love God above all things. To fear God above all things. To be a living sacrifice. To carry your cross daily. To be serious minded. To fight the good fight of faith. To not consider your life dear to yourself. To set the joy before you. To practice his presence. And to look forward to his coming. Now all those things, seriously, we could spend one on, each week we could spend an hour on them. But I want you to think about them. And if the Spirit of God has prompted something in you, about at least one or two of them, go, read it, study it, meditate on it. If you're confused, come ask. Because what we have to do is practice God's presence. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. Our faith has to be genuine. Let me read them out to you again and then I'll pray. Love God above all things. Fear God above all things. Be a living sacrifice. Carry your cross. Be serious-minded. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't consider your life dear to yourself. Set the joy before you. Practice his presence and look forward to his coming. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, we want to thank you for your word of truth. for the grace you have given us, Lord, for mercy, that when we can't, you can, for your help, 
for your love, for your forgiveness. And Father God, you've brought us out of darkness into your light. Because we are in love with you so much, and because you are obsessed with us, Lord, how can we not practice your presence? How can we not remember you in every situation, Lord? How can we not yield ourselves over to you through every circumstance? Father God, I pray that we are who we are, whether we are in public or private. Lord, we are genuine in our faith because we love you so much. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who who doesn't know you or knows that their life isn't the same wherever they are, or is just honestly aware that their faith isn't genuine, I pray you restore them this morning. I pray for restoration of their souls. I pray for healing of their souls. I pray for healing of their minds. And I pray, Lord God, you restore unto them the joy of your salvation and their first love, Lord God. Father, bless this church. Continue to encourage us and strengthen us. Continue to guide us and lead us. In all things, Father, be glorified and honoured. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.